We're going to start in Genesis 3 tonight, and then we're going to work our way to James chapter 4. So I'm, I'm excited for God's word. I'm glad it is still true, but uh, I'm so thankful that uh, uh, the Bible, it, it, it explains so much. You know, this world is looking for answers but they're looking in all the wrong places. And unfortunately, uh, uh, this Bible is so readily available right now. You know, you can get it uh, in a split second in a million different ways. You can order it uh, and everything else, yet so many walk right by it. So many ignore it. So many dismiss it. Uh, but I'm glad uh, we know that it's the Word of God, uh, and it, it is our anchor uh, in these days uh, that we live in. But I want to look at Genesis 3, uh, 14 and 15, says this, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be able to preach. Lord, empty me of self and uh, Lord, cleanse me and help me, Lord, to uh, just to preach what you've given to me. Lord, that it would touch our hearts. Lord, that it would challenge us. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it's still true. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work. Lord, that you promised that your word wouldn't uh, go void, but it would return. Uh, it would work. And Lord, that's what we want tonight. Lord, we thank you for all things and in Jesus name we pray and amen. So you see uh, that Genesis 3, that is such an important chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. It, it not only shows the origin uh, you know, of sin entering into the world, but it gives so many details. And that first, uh, there in Genesis uh, 15, when God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That, that is the first prophecy of the Messiah. That's the first one right there in the Bible. And if you think about it, God told Satan his plan right from the beginning, right? As soon as sin entered in, God told Satan the plan that he would deal with the sin and how he would end up destroying him. And you think about that ever since that point, the devil has been trying to defile and to destroy the seed uh, that's been mentioned here. That's what he tried to do. In fact, it starts in the very next chapter in Genesis chapter four. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve, uh, they have two male sons. They have Cain and Abel. Uh, and the one decides, Cain, the older one, decides, I'm going to make my own worship. I'm going to come up with my own rituals. I'm going to make my own decisions. Instead of doing what God said and, and the way Abel offered his sacrifice by faith, uh, instead, uh, Cain decides he's going to do what he wants to do. Uh, and then when the his sacrifice, his offering wasn't accepted by God because it wasn't done through faith and in and, and the true way that it should, Cain decides to kill his brother. And you think about that. Uh, I believe that Satan, uh, it was he was entering uh, those thoughts into Cain and, and, and showing him and saying, hey, uh, uh, you know, you, uh, that jealousy there and everything else. And Cain kills Abel and Satan's getting excited, right? The seed of the woman uh, is supposed to, uh, to, to bruise my head and look what happened. You've got one 
one seed of the woman killing the other one. So the one that's dead can't take over, can't take me down. And the one that's alive is wicked and a murderer. So, so he's thinking he's got everything and, and what a great way to thwart God's plan. Uh, but, uh, and you think about this, Jesus said this, John 8, 44, year of the father, the devil and the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. If he could get men to kill one another, then God's plan would be frustrated. It wouldn't be able to work. Uh, the seed of the woman would die off, uh, you know, and all of these things. But aren't you glad in the very next chapter, God's got a solution there. Seth comes along, the, ne uh, the next one, and that uh, takes on the lineage. Uh, uh, you know, the woman's seed continues on. Then all it takes is one more chapter. Genesis chapter 6, uh, there's uh, the seed of mankind begins to be polluted with these evil angels uh, and uh, verse 5 in chapter 6 is so sad. It says this, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I bet Satan thought if I could just get this whole world so perverted uh, and so uh, off center, so sinful, so wicked, I can corrupt the seed. And again, God can't use that corrupted seed to bruise my head. But aren't you glad in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God used him to save his family to build that ark and to be protected from judgment and to start over. Uh, aren't you seeing this uh, this cycle that's happening? Satan thinks he's got a one up on God and then God's got a solution already in the works. Praise God. Then you get to chapter 11. What happens in Genesis chapter 11? The whole earth comes together. Uh, even though God told them to disperse and replenish by nation the entire earth, the, the Bible says they decide to make a city and a tower whose top could reach unto heaven. And I don't know if their plan was to walk into heaven uh, themselves without God or build a tower high enough so even if it did flood again, if God flooded it again, they would escape the flood and escape judgment. But either way, they're realizing and they're deciding we're going to do this without God, right? We're going to uh, do this in spite of what God can do or what God said he would do. And I believe Satan thought if I could just convince men that they can reach heaven on their own merits, right? Or they can escape God's judgment, then man doesn't even need the seed of the woman to help him, right? Don't we see that? God scatters them. He confounds their language and they end up replenishing the earth like God wanted to anyway. Then Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's introduced. And Abraham gets a specific promise that he would have a great seed come from him and the land of Canaan would be his and his uh, uh, his sons and the successors and everything else. And as soon as Abraham gets to Canaan, what happens? A famine hits, right? Satan wants to destroy Abraham's seed. He wants to, or corrupt it just like other times. And uh, so as soon as he flees to Egypt when he shouldn't, he acts like Sarah's his sister, right? Instead of his wife, uh, instead of trusting in God's promise and God to protect him and everything else. But aren't you glad God prevented Pharaoh from taking Sarah as a wife and corrupting everything? Uh, and instead they leave Egypt. So there is God taking care of Abraham's mistakes. 
I'm glad he takes care of mine, don't you? I'm glad he's a blessing. So you can just go throughout the remainder of the book of Genesis and what? Satan tries to corrupt Abraham's seed, remember? Through the Egyptian handmaid, they're trying to do it themselves a different way. Then he tries to kill Abraham. Well, how, when did that happen? Well, remember when uh, Lot was in Sodom and uh, he was taken captive and, and the, the whole city was taken by these other kings and uh, Abraham arms himself with his servants and they go into battle and they fight to free Lot. You know, Satan wanted Abraham dead because if I can kill him, then there's no seed coming out of there, right? There's no one uh, uh, to fulfill that promise. Then you go down to uh, Jacob and Esau. You have, again, a Cain and Abel type of situation. Esau wants to kill Jacob because Jacob's doing, well, not really doing what God wants, but he is going to be getting the, the blessing instead of Esau. And then you go down to Joseph, right? The next in line. What happened? The devil either tries to destroy him or he sells him into slavery. But aren't you glad that God protected him during that time? And instead of uh, becoming an Egyptian, he was set apart. And then God used him to protect uh, the people from a famine many years later. So throughout the book of Genesis, you see this cycle over and over again. You see Satan trying to, uh, trying to prevent God's promise from being fulfilled. And then what's the next book? Really, the next book uh, chronologically is really Job. And in, in the book of Job, you see uh, uh, some of these, well, I, I should say it's the oldest book, uh, uh, but you see in the book of Job, you see a lot of things. Remember, God calls him a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And the devil wants to attack him because of that, right? The devil wants to stop him. And the whole purpose of Satan's attack uh, is in chapter one, verse nine. He says, doth Job fear God for naught or for nothing? He's saying, you're blessing him. You're putting a hedge of protection around him. If you take that away, he will curse you to your face. That's what the devil said about Job. And then he's allowed and Satan attacks Job's children. He does that either a windstorm or a tornado. He kills the sheep by fire from heaven that Job had. And then uh, Ephesians 2, 2, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And we see something in Job. The devil can use nature, right? He uses nature. He used wind. He used these things uh, uh, to take, uh, 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 to bring this pain to Job. But I'm glad it says he's the prince of the power of the air. It doesn't say he's the king of the power of the air. Right. He's under. Right. The creator has all the power. Aren't you glad uh, that we talked about this morning? Uh, Justin was saying, hey, Jesus can calm the storm. Right. He's in control of that. But Satan just didn't. He didn't just use nature, but he also uh, with Job, he used the Sabaeans to steal the oxen and donkeys. And he used the Chaldeans to steal Job's camels. So we see just like in Genesis, we see in Job, Satan is using men. To do his will, even when God's given them that limited ability to touch Job's life. So we see this. And then let's fast forward to when Jesus comes. Jesus is born. 
And remember what happens a little while later, the wise men come and they stop at Herod's palace and they say, hey, we followed the star. We're looking for the Messiah that's been born. And he's asking, where are they at? Where is he to be born? Remember, Herod's kind of shocked at all this. He asks his religious people and they say Bethlehem. And uh, uh, so he says, hey, you go, you go find him, you go worship him and you come back and tell me where he is so I can worship as well, which he was lying. He wanted to kill uh, the Messiah. He wanted to kill Jesus. And remember, aren't you glad the wise men get there? Uh, they, they worship him. They give him the gifts. And then God tells them not to come back the same way they went. Uh, that's a wonderful picture right there of salvation. One of the pieces. I'm glad that when they met Jesus, they didn't go back the same way. Uh, but anyway, uh, he so then Herod gets angry at all that. And what's he do? He has all of the boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas, two years and younger, are all killed. Why? Satan wanted to destroy the seed of the woman. That's what he's wanted to do. But the angel of the Lord warned Joseph in a dream and they fled to Egypt. There's God's protection. After Jesus' baptism, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And one of those temptations, remember the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple and he tells him just to jump off of it, right? Those angels will catch you. You just jump off. He wanted Jesus to kill himself. That's what he wanted. Right. And then when that didn't work, the next temptation was he took him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, you can have all of this and the glory of it if you would just bow down and worship me. But aren't you glad that even in those temptations, uh, there's Jesus responding with scripture. That's how he resisted the devil. Uh, and then Luke 4.13 says that the devil departed from him for a season. So we know there were more temptations of the devil with Jesus that we didn't have written down in scripture. But I'm glad he didn't give in to any of those temptations, right? Here's what the devil's trying to do, corrupt the seed. Again, he either tries to destroy it or corrupt it. And then what we were talking about this morning, the devil tries to drown Jesus. He's in that boat. Remember the raging storm comes. He's asleep in the hinder part of the ship uh, and, and uh, he's trying to get him to drown in the sea. And then remember when he goes to Nazareth, he had already left. He had already uh, started in Capernaum. He comes back to Nazareth, his hometown, and he goes in the synagogue and he's there teaching and he, he opens up the scroll uh, and he says, he talks about this is the accepted day of the Lord and reads that scripture and then he says this day is that scripture fulfilled in your ears and they start to ask isn't this Joseph's son uh, who you know basically saying who does he think he is and then when he says that he is the son of God when he uh, is he is God uh, they want they drag him up to the uh, to this cliff and they're going to literally throw him off the cliff but I love that verse where it says he just passes right through the whole crowd and walks away. That wasn't the only time. They tried to stone him multiple times. They tried to kill him before. And we've talked about this before. Uh, Jesus said, by an hour is not yet come. But there was an hour. All of that led up to the cross of Calvary. And what did the devil use? He used the chief priest. He used the disciple that turned into a traitor. He used the angry mob. He used the cowardly governor and pilot. Uh, all of these things he used to kill the son of God. And the devil thought uh, he had, oh, he really was excited because he finally thought he had killed the seed of the woman, right? He finally thought he had got the upper hand. Jesus is dead. He's laying in Joseph's garden tomb. Uh, and uh, uh, again on that Friday, 
Friday there was sadness that Saturday it felt hopeless a whole day without Jesus Christ without miracles without teaching without anything but aren't you glad on that third day before it was yet dawn the Bible says there was a great earthquake and then an angel came down rolled the stone away uh, the keepers of the tomb uh, they saw that angel they were afraid it says they were pretty much as dead men uh, and then uh, one by one they start to come and they start to see uh, the t- that the tomb is empty now they were they were confused at first but eventually when they saw Jesus Christ they realized that Jesus was alive all their confusion turned to sadness and joy when they found out he was not dead but he was alive and then I love 1 Corinthians 2 8 which none of the princes of this world knew for if they had known it they would not have crucified the Lord of glory that tells me that the devil made a mistake that day he had no idea Jesus was rising from the dead because if he would have he would have never he'd have never had him hung on the cross but even though the devil thought he had the upper hand even though he used all those men and people and different ones to get his plan fulfilled uh, uh, using them in different ways God still had the upper hand isn't that wonderful when you think about that so if throughout the Bible The devil's using individual men and women and groups of people. He's using governments from times and kings. We didn't talk about that, but he uses kings. He uses all sorts of things and even used some disciples uh, from time to time. He used a mob of people, religious leaders, governors, and common people to do his will. You realize that the devil's done all of these things because he's all he's trying to do is to go against God's plan. And God's promises. He is trying to resist it every bit of the way. And we know God's will, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. And then Satan's will, uh, remember, he's talking about the thief that tries to harm the sheep. John 10, 10, the, the purpose of the thief is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So you see, there's a total opposite of sides. You've got one, the life bringer in Jesus Christ. And then in the devil, you've got the life taker, right? You've got the one uh, that's come in truth. And then you've got the one that's come in lies. It's just total opposite. But one thing I saw is both the devil and the Lord use people to do their will. You see that? It's all throughout the Bible. And I just picked some in Genesis, some in Job, and some in the Gospels, but you can look through the whole Bible and see that. The devil prompted men to go against God. Notice he didn't force them. He uses temptation and deception and promises and everything else to convince people to do what he wants done. And if the devil uses people and God uses people, I think that is the center right there the real center of the spiritual warfare. You know, we talk about it all the time and it's hard, I think, for us to put our mind around what the spiritual warfare really is because we can't see it. We can't see the literal battles. We can't see the uh, the things that are uh, trying to get into our mind. We can't see all of that stuff. But I believe that the battlefront, uh, one of them is, is where, which way we will go, whether you will uh, do the devil's will or whether you'll do God's will. And you know, I preach over and over again. If you've even been here for very long, you know that I preach that we need to be doing God's will. 
But if we aren't in the will of God, if we are not being obedient to God, are we being used by the devil? We could. We could. If you act like you can't, you need to read the Bible again and see how many people were used by the devil at different times. He used men of God and women of God. He used them from time to time. Why? When they were, when they were not doing what they should. Right? When devil, remember David? When the kings were to go out to battle, the devil used that time right there to, to ruin, uh, to ruin the, uh, Bathsheba's life, really, her husband's life, Uriah, and, and all of those things. It became a mess. And over and over again, we see that. And here's the thing I was thinking about. Did Pilate realize he was doing the devil's will that day? Probably not. What about this? What about the chief priests? Do you think that they thought they were going against God? No. They thought they were doing God's will. Just like Saul. We've been talking about Saul uh, in Sunday school in the book of Acts. If you would have asked him when he was going house to house, persecuting Christians, dragging them out of homes, locking them up, having them killed, he would have said, I am doing God's will. And then all of a sudden there, he's on the road to Damascus and there a light shine brighter than the noonday sun. And then all of a sudden it's Jesus Christ, the one uh, he had been fighting against. He didn't even realize. And he said, it's hard to kick against the pricks. And that's what I'm saying. If, If all of these ones were tricked and all of these ones were doing the devil's will without even knowing it, I want to be careful that we're not. That brings us down to James. James chapter four. This is where we'll close. I love the book of James. It's so practical. It's so filled. It's just just a few chapters, but so filled with good things. But I'll tell you what, when you read it, you got to say, whoa, I can't just read this. This isn't historical. This is something I just read. That's nice to know. No, it's things that need we need to apply to our lives. So James uh, chapter four, verses seven and eight says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw not draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. And I thought, you know, we love I don't know about you. We love to use parts of these two verses don't we? We love to say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you, right? We like that. We like that power. Uh, The same power that Jesus Christ had, we can harness God's word and we can say, you know what, devil, what you're saying is a lie and I'm sticking with the truth and he has to flee from you. Now he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be gone for a season just like Jesus. He'll be back. But I'm telling you, we can resist the devil. Isn't that exciting? And then the uh, the part right next to it, the beginning of verse 8, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. We love that, don't we? And we just get a little closer to God. And I believe he comes right real close to us. I don't even think it's one for one. I don't think if I take one step to God, he takes one step to me. I think if I take one step to God, he comes all the way to where I am. Yeah. He's right there. I like that, don't you? I love those verses. But we can't just pick and choose parts of these verses, right? We can't just pick the parts we like. If we like resist the devil and he will flee from you, we've got to like the beginning part. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Because that comes first. He says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, then resist. 
right? So we're going to figure out how do we make sure that we are not doing the devil's will? How do we make sure that we've got to submit to God's will? Because when you're in the middle of God's will, you'll never be doing the devil's will because they're opposite, right? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then resist the devil. Draw nigh to God. Remember, we like that, and he'll draw nigh nigh unto you, but then we got to do the second part. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, then purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And you're saying, well, wait a second. Who's that written to? The same ones that need to draw nigh unto God resist the devil. It's to us. Our hands get dirty sometimes. We're in a dirty world, right? We can't. We, we can't, uh, we, we see things we wish we wouldn't have seen, right? We hear things we wish we wouldn't have heard. Uh, we get involved in things. We don't resist. Uh, we don't, uh, res- uh, there are some temptations we give into and everything else. You know what we need to do? Sometimes we need to say, Lord, you need to cleanse me. I've gotten dirty, right? I know my sins are forgiven, but I've gotten dirty and I need cleaned off from you again, right? That's Okay. And he says, and purify your heart, ye double-minded. We can get hypocritical at times, right? We know the verses to say. We know the things to say. We know uh, what to tell other people to do. Uh, We know how to teach it or different things or explain it. But sometimes do we follow it ourselves? He says, purify your heart, ye double-minded. We've got to resist the devil by filling our hearts with God's word. That's the same thing. Jesus had to, had the word because he is the word, but we need to fill ourselves with the word. And we have to resist the devil by staying in the center of God's will. And like I said, that's the only way we can ensure we're not helping him and his goals. You realize one way or another, the thing I like about the Bible is God's will will always be accomplished. His plan will always come to pass because his promises are true. He doesn't change in all of those things. But the question is, are you and I going to be a part of God's plan or are we going to be part of the resistance of God's plan? That's the question. So I think we know by now what we need to do. We've got to submit. We've got to resist, right? Submit ourselves to God and resist the devil. And again, I've said it before, and this is the part I know I've run people off of out from this church, is I have said, listen, as Christian people, the Bible says we should live a certain way, right? We should talk a certain way, live a certain way, treat people a certain way, uh, do things in love and everything else. There is a truth, and this, this Bible is true, and it tells us how to live. But not just that. Not just uh, 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 the different things we need to abstain from and, the, and different things like that. This Bible also tells us that we are servants of the Lord. And here's the thing. If you're not doing God's will, if you're not serving him, both outside the church and inside the church, if you're not serving him, the devil could be using you and you won't even realize it. Thinking, Mike, I would know. Chief priest didn't, Saul didn't, Pilate didn't, right? Cain, do you think Cain realized? You know, no, he just thought he was he was just mad at Abel, right? You can go down the list. Jude, I don't think Judas fully realized what he did until it actually happened. He was trying to undo it. He didn't do it the right way. He didn't go to Jesus for forgiveness. He's trying to undo everything and it didn't work. I don't want us to be caught up helping the devil. And I'll tell you what, I know there's been times where I've done that. If I've discouraged somebody from doing God's will, right? I've been helping the devil out. 
I don't want to do that. We got to submit to God. We got to resist him. All right, we're going to open up the altar tonight.